Now we just read last week in the 18th chapter where Jesus is talking about forgiveness. You have to forgive people. If you don't forgive people, this is something uh, stunning to me how many Christians do not get this. But Jesus taught this. If you do not forgive people, God will not forgive you. Now there's a lot of people who absolutely refuse to believe that. I don't believe that. God will forgive me. I don't care. I'm never going to forgive that person. You are delusional. He was very clear. If you don't forgive people, God will not forgive you. This is, this is not optional for us. And if you're struggling with forgiveness, you need to get some help. Get somebody to help you. Pray with you. Encourage you through this. Cry out to God. But you've got to let it go. All of us have to let it go. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the Bible says he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So this is uh, the rock star stage of Jesus' ministries. These huge multitudes, the Bible said, multitudes of people, men, women, and children would follow him. Uh, eventually, they started pulling back away from him because he started talking very strong to them about what they needed to do. And they didn't like that. They loved the miracles and turning, you know, free sandwiches, you know, <laughs> feeding the multitudes. They loved all that stuff. But when he talked about them really totally surrendering their hearts to him and serving God, it was more than they could handle. But we're not there yet. This is still, everybody's excited about him. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were irritated by all of this activity, certainly threatened by it. And they kept trying to trick Jesus. Now they had heard him say on the Sermon of the Mount, and his disciples heard him, everybody heard him, when he came to this area of divorce, he basically said, you should not divorce your wife, okay? And uh, of course, you know, he went on just talking about lots of different things. No one really got a chance to talk to him about it. Uh, and they thought, well, that can't be right, because Moses in the Old Testament said you could divorce your wife. And then these guys had gone on and created all kinds of other rules. The problem with the religious legalists of the day, and a lot of these Jews, and quite frankly, a lot of them to this day, bless their pee-pig and hearts, they have the scriptures, but then they have their other writings about the scriptures, their special holy interpretations. And they're more, they were more focused on that writing than the original writing. And they had gotten together, and they had written all kinds of rules about how to interpret the law of Moses and the problem was they became legalistic uh, now oftentimes people think if you say something's right or wrong you're being legalistic you know if you say brother you're not supposed to do that you know the Bible says you shouldn't do that you're, you're just a legalist I've had people accuse me of being a legalist they don't know what they're talking about that is not legalism right is right wrong is wrong and the Bible is very clear about it and Jesus is extremely extraordinarily clear about what was right and wrong that is not legalism legalism is when you take what's right or wrong and then you add all kinds of stuff onto it that God never intended in the first place the religious leaders of his day that's exactly what they did religious people to this day still do this let me give you an example so you can understand legalism let's say in your home the rule is children should not play in the street good rule Okay? Unless you live in a cul-de-sac or something. But it was a good rule. Don't play in the street. Well, a legalist would come along and say, well, they shouldn't play in the yard. Because if they play in the yard, they'll be tempted to play in the street. So they should only stay inside at all times. And then a legalist would come around and ratchet that up and say, well, you know, you can stay inside, but you have to close the curtains. Because if you leave the curtains open, they'll see outside, they'll be tempted to go out into the yard, which will lead them into the street. And then another idiot will come along and say, look, if we're going to really do this right, you've got to keep them in the basement. Because if they come upstairs, they'll be tempted to open the curtain, they'll see the yard, they'll want to be in the yard, which will lead them into the street. 
It's called legalism. Christians have done this for centuries, trying to help out God. And it usually ends badly. God doesn't need your help. What a shock. Now, we often think, well, just the Pharisees were legalists. Christians have been legalistic. Even evangelical Christians are legal. Probably the most common legalistic thing that evangelical Christians do. And a lot of you listening to me are evangelical Christians. Make some of you mad. I don't care. But it's when it comes to this idea of communion. When you come to communion, we do what the Bible teaches. Is we serve wine. That's exactly what they did. And I would give you the option for grape juice if you don't want it. But most evangelical churches don't allow any wine at all. So you go to virtually any church anywhere, it'll always be grape juice. Because if you take a little tiny piece of wine, you'll be tempted to go out and buy a bottle of Jack Daniels and get drunk and beat your wife. (laughs) It is exactly legalism. As holy as they think they are, they are being legalistic. There's so many things the church, evangelical church over the years has been legalistic. You know, they have all kinds of rules. You know, you you can't dance if you dance. You know, it'll lead to immorality. Because if you dance, you get close to someone, you get real close to them, and pretty soon you want to, you know, pretty soon you're in bed having sex. So they had rules against dancing, because dancing leads to sex. We have all kinds of rules. We don't, but they do. And churches, all of this, and all of it is legalism. Every time you come along, you start adding to the command to help God out, you're getting yourself in trouble. And the Pharisees, they were the premier guys at this. They took, you couldn't, you know, the Bible says rest on the Sabbath. Well, they came along and they decided how many steps you could take on a Saturday. What you could do, what you could lift, what you couldn't lift. They turned it into legalism. You know, on and on. And it became very oppressive. That's what happens to legalism. It becomes, it becomes ridiculous at some point. So anyway, the Pharisees come along. They know that they're Rules. Moses said you could get divorced, and they up the ante. They came up with, and if you'll study the the, the study uh, the uh, the reasons for divorce, it was for any reason. If a woman wouldn't do something the right way, or if she wouldn't, you know, cook the right way, I mean, it was all kinds of stuff. You could dump dump her. Now this would terrorize women of the day, because now other than today, today's different. But back in that day, a woman who was married and then all of a sudden was without a husband was up a creek. She had no way of supporting herself. It was terrifying to them. They would be in destitute poverty and misery. And men would routinely threaten their wives with divorce to get them to shut up and do whatever they said. And even from a religious standpoint, well, you know, I, I have the right here. I can divorce you. And, and they lived in fear. It was oppressive. Jesus saw it, was appalled by it, and then said, you guys, you shouldn't be divorcing him at all, which totally freaked them out. So the Pharisees come. They want to try and trap him. And they said... Well, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And that's what they did. Any and every reason. It kept women in absolute fear. Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Look what Jesus did. He goes back to the Scriptures. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go back to the Scriptures. I don't care what some council somewhere said. I want to know what Jesus said. I want to see what the Bible teaches. So he goes back and says, have you not seen in the beginning God made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Something that's quoted on many uh, weddings, quoting the scriptures, quoting what Jesus said. What God has joined together, you should not separate. Not too many people listen to that anymore. 
And then, of course, then they push back. And then why did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, Jesus jumps back in, and uh, it's probably his strongest, uh, uh, I don't want to say rebuke, you know. It's, he doesn't really criticize Moses, but in a way he does, you know. Remember, they're all Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. His mom, everybody was Jewish, you know, in this whole thing, all this, uh, this is the Jewish culture. And Moses was everything. And Jesus comes back and he starts criticizing Moses and said, Moses told you that to send your wife because, get away your wife, to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard. So in a way he really blames them, but still Moses shouldn't have done this is really what he's trying to say. And uh, he says, but it was not that way from the beginning. Because in the beginning, what God joins together, no one should separate. And then he goes on and he lays down the rule. I tell you, we are Christians. We've lived by the standards of Jesus Christ. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another one commits adultery. Well, then the Pharisees got nothing else to say. Well, the disciples freak. They completely, what? Because <laughs> they heard him say this before, but it's a much greater detail now. And they're stunned. Now these are the men of God that we revere, right? This is Peter, James, John, all the apostles. We love these guys. They're so holy and righteous. And when Jesus says you can't just dump your wife and move on, they said, oh, good grief. If that's the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Now, kind of shocking when you think about this. Now stop. Oftentimes we read these scriptures in religious you know, voices in our head. They're all very calm and stuff. These guys weren't calm. They freaked. This is the equivalent, and we've all done this. Virtually everybody in this room has done this. You know what it's like when you're in an argument with somebody? It could be your spouse. It could be your boss. It could be some organization you're in, and they come with some no rule or something like that, and then you say, "Ah, oh, well, we got to do that. There's no sense in doing it at all. Right? We've all done. There's no sense anymore. We're going we're gonna to act away. Let's just stop doing it all together. It's a way of pushing back against somebody. And say, wow, we're not going to do it. And that's what the disciples did. It's a very human, very common human reaction. When they heard that you can't dump the chick, oh, I shouldn't even get married at all. Which is a way of pushing back, trying to get some kind of concession from Jesus. But Jesus did not concede. He said, look, not everyone can accept this word, only to those to whom it has been given. I don't really like the way that's translated. A more literal translation. Young's literal translation of the Bible says, he said, all do not receive this word. They all do not receive it, which is true. A lot of people don't receive this. We've been given this word, but we shouldn't run around and beat up people outside who are not Christians because they don't live by the word of God. I've always disturbed by Christians who are boycotting gays or whatever. They are sinners. Seriously? It's not our place to go out there and condemn people and hold them to a higher, to a standard, Christian standard, when they're not even Christians themselves. You know, let us hold a high Christian standard for Christians, but let's not go out there and beep. And not everybody can receive these things. Okay? So now they're all freaked out. Saying, well, there's no sense in even getting married at all. And then Jesus does something which I find highly entertaining. I think this is hysterical. Because they're all upset. Well, there's no sense in getting married. And then he starts talking about testicles. He does. I don't remember reading that in the Bible. Look, read it. The reason we miss it is because they use language that we don't use today. Jesus looks at him and says, because they said, well, there's no sense of getting married. And he says, you know, guys, there are eunuchs 
who are born that way. Now, a eunuch is a man without testicles. That's what a eunuch is. He said, those guys who are born that way. I don't know of any. But apparently there are some who were born that way. Then he says, and then there are some eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others. <laughs> I assume against their will. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> who signs up for that? <laughs> you know. But then I started studying this. And in point of fact, many people did sign up for this. And this is usually done when they're boys. Um, uh, even hundreds of years ago in churches there would be young men who had extremely angelic voices, boy voices, in these boys choirs and stuff like that. And the extremely talented ones, they would actually surrender their boys to, uh, so that their voices, it's true, it's a historical fact, and so that their voices would stay high. Which I have not had that happen despite my voice, but I'm just telling you. They would, they would keep these very, very angelic voices. And, uh, and as I'm studying this, you know, I think this is, this is bizarre because who does this today? Do you know that there's millions of men in the world who still do this? It's quite shocking. I was stunned. There's people in America who still do this. It's, you know, not, not so much, we're more to the next step that we'll get to in a minute. But during Jesus' day, people would do this in a way it was a really valuable thing for the family to offer up a boy like this. And if you already had a couple of sons and you knew your line was established, to offer one up as a eunuch was a big deal. They were highly valued in the culture of Jesus' day. Uh, these men were highly compensated. Eunuchs were highly compensated, highly educated men who had the best of everything uh, because they were extremely highly valued in this culture. Any man of wealth, and certainly kings and princes and all these people, would put eunuchs into their employment and take extremely good care of them because they wanted them to protect their wives and daughters. And no better guy to protect your wife and daughter than a guy who doesn't have a pair. And, uh, and that's what they did. Uh, you'll read in, in the book of Acts where Philip, the evangelist, uh, was taken in the spirit and he met uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, a man who was highly educated, had his own chariot, you know, that, that would be like someone today who has a Harvard degree and driving a Bentley of the day. Man, this guy, he's got it. And he starts preaching and the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. Uh, so eunuchs were like a highly valued thing. So that's why people would do this. So those guys understood that. There are people who are born eunuchs. There are people who have been made eunuchs by others intentionally. Oh, okay, that happens. And then, which is the real kicker, there are those who choose to become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now that shocked me, and that was stunning how many men actually do this for a variety of reasons, even in this country. If you go and Google it, it's really rather shocking. Uh, in India, there's one group of men, there's a, they say they have a million members. You know, that uh, for whatever reason. Now some of them do it for religious reasons. The main reason for a religious reason is it stops the distraction of sexual desire. Which, a little extreme, but I guess it works. <laughs> and say uh, so they would do this. And they literally do Jesus said people in his day literally did this. There would be men, and every man here knows what, exactly what I'm talking about. That just, that's always going through your brain, you know. And it's a problem, especially if you're a single guy and you don't want to get married. And you're dealing with this, they just zip and the ah stops. 
And uh, so there's men who did this for the kingdom of God's sake, so they could serve God. You know? <laughs> I just say pray more, but... <laughs> So anyway, that's what they did. So he's basically, these guys say, well, if that's what it takes to get a woman, you shouldn't even get one woman in the first place. And Jesus basically said, hey, some people don't have a pair. Some get their pairs taken off. Some voluntarily give up their pair. That's his response to them. And they're like, and then they didn't ask him any more questions about it. I think it's hilarious. This is really funny stuff. Those who can accept it should accept it. And they went, and they didn't say anything. Turns out later, according to uh, the writings of the Apostle Paul, that many of these apostles did take wives and had wives later, considering the option. So, uh, but it's, I mean, it's pretty strong. So here Jesus is making this real strong statement about divorce. And he said, well, that's the case. Better not ever get married in the first place. And he doesn't back off one iota. So look, you either got a pair or you don't. That was his answer. Done. Did not back off. Now, this is clearly the Christian standard. Now, I understand a lot of people here have been divorced and remarried, and some of you, for legitimate reasons that Jesus talked about, you had an un- sexually unfaithful spouse. But a lot of you that went ahead and had nothing to do with it. There's other reasons in play. And look, I know all kinds of people have made mistakes, and I get that. That's what forgiveness is for. It's the reset button. But as people of faith, if you're going to serve God, it has to stop. It has to stop. And I might add that the culture has changed today. While men used to terrorize women with this, in America today, women routinely terrorize men with this threat of divorce. 80% of all divorces in America today are filed by women. Well, I'm going to take half everything you own. And, I, and, it's, and it's, it's just na- It is so nasty and ugly out there. I get it. Most people out there do not know God in their lives. They're going to do what they do. But as people of faith, we should not be this way. So, Pastor, I'm unhappy. All right, I get it. But your happiness isn't supposed to be coming from somebody else anyway. You're supposed to be getting your happiness from God. Look, some of you are in great marriages. Some of you are in miserable marriages. You're M&Ms, married and miserable. I get it. You know, be nice. You didn't get everything you wanted. Like Nobody ever gets everything they want. And I say this all the time to the people. Look, what your spouse does may very well irritate you until the day you die. The good news is, you die. (laughs) Someone said amen. (laughs) Hang on, baby, death's coming, I can feel it. A few more years, you know. You made a promise, keep the promise. And that's it. That's all Jesus had to say on it. Then it goes on, and now it says, Now people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hand on them and pray for them. But the disciples, they were kind of like Jesus' bodyguards, you know, trying to keep people back. Stop, stop bothering with all these kids. And, and Jesus says, No, guys, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. He loved the children. Don't hold them back. We, as people of faith, if we're going to have hearts like Jesus had, you need to love children. We value children highly at Celebration Church. It is a huge priority to us how your children are ministered to. We consider children to be a blessing and not a curse. We live in a culture today that considers children a curse. Don't have any children. Or have as few as you can. Ah, it's just a curse. It's just a curse. And, And we are robbing ourselves of great blessings. The greatest joy you'll ever have are in those little chubby faces. Oh, I know, they drive us crazy too. But there's great joy in that.
And studies are showing now that the healthiest families in the world are the ones that are large families. They're healthier literally, physically, psychologically, almost any measurement. They do better. And the children, when they leave and get married, they have more successful marriages than people who come from small married, from small homes. Researchers think it's just because they learn to share. They learn to share. Okay? Well, not everybody has children. Not everybody's got their own different things and stuff. But here in this culture, we want to value children. We think it's a great blessing. And uh, I've said this before. You know, has anyone noticed that the most miserable women in the world are ones with one kid. <laughs> it's true. It drives you crazy. Two helps. But when you start getting a three or more, it's peace in the valley. Hallelujah. The most evenly tempered women, happiest women, if you watch them in this church, any of our campuses, look at them. The ones with three or more kids. Nothing stresses them out anymore. You know, it's, I'm telling you, it's healthier. It's just healthier for you. Uh, I, this, I could go on and talk to the studies. I do, I'll get sidetracked on that. But it's, it's quite amazing, you know. The first one freaks you out, you know. You're in there every five seconds making sure they're breathing. <laughs> you got three or more, the one kid can fall down in flames and, you know, just, put your brother out, would you, okay? <laughs> oh, he's fine and little fire is not going to kill anybody. Move on. You just, you just relax. And then we'll end with this, finishing out chapter nine. Went, went through a whole chapter today. Pretty good, huh? Then just then a, a man comes up to Jesus and asks, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? Well, Jesus said, you know, the biggies. Thou shalt not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, I've, I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? That's a great uh, thing that happens here. You know, a lot of people... <laughs> that been to our church you know we have a fair amount you've done some really terrible things in your life you know um, the good thing about people who've done really bad things is it's not hard for them to view themselves as sinners you know what I'm saying you say the Bible says you're a sinner most of you go well that's right you know I've been there I was one of them you know it didn't take a lot of convincing to convince me I was a bad yep I'm a bad one okay but then you got people they're really not that bad and they've been really good people all their lives. And done really good things all their best of their They're still sinners. They still need God. But even despite doing everything right, like even the ones who've done that can tell there's something not quite right. And that's what this guy is. He's one of those guys. A nice guy. He's done everything. And yet he can tell there's something missing. And Jesus said, like, if you want to get this right, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now you would think at this point, these guys would just jump in. You know, everybody's easy to jump on the whole, you know... Uh, you know, envy thing, class envy thing that we have in this country. Politicians are always trying to exploit it. Rich have too much, poor don't have enough. You know, getting people at each other's throat. It's always people, easy for people who don't have money to look at people who do have money and criticize them. And that's what everyone's done. It would have been easy. Jesus' disciples were not rich. These guys didn't have any money. 
You know, it'd have been easy for him when he says, "This rich guy," and it's hard for them to get into heaven. They were like, "Yeah, I don't know, rich people all go to hell." But that's not what they did. It's amazing. Immediately when it says in verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, "Who then can be saved?" Well, good for these guys. Every once in a while, they got it right. They knew what he was saying. What he's saying to them is, look, unless all of you are willing to surrender everything, you cannot be saved. I said, well, if that's the case, I mean, it, it, the fact that I was rich was irrelevant. They, they got it. It wasn't about being rich. It was about someone who wouldn't let go. And Jesus made those statements and said, man, and, and who stands a chance? And Jesus said to them, look, he looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God, with all, with God all things are possible. Listen to me, everybody, when you come to God in your life, if you're going to really grow in your faith, at some point you've got to let go and let God. Now everybody struggles with this at some point. I've, I've really known no one who hasn't at some level. I know I have in my own life. Virtually everybody I've ever known who's been a Christian has come to time, sometimes more than once in their life, where God's has to deal with them about letting go of something that you're hanging on to so hard. Some of you it is because of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that we talked about earlier. And you won't let it go. Some of you it is about money. And you're saying, I'm going to hang on to my money. I don't care what those preachers say. Others of you it's a relationship that you're keeping that you shouldn't be keeping. Other people, your careers and things that you want to do with your life. And that's more important to you than what God wants. And if God can line up with my plans, then that's okay. You're delusional. God isn't interested in walking and lining up with your plans. He's interested in you letting go and lining up with his plans. Now what does that mean? It means something different for everybody. But the bottom line is you've got to be willing to let go. Everybody, if you're going to grow in your faith, will have those come to Jesus moments where you need to let go and let God. And his disciples, Peter answered, and he says, man, we, we left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And he says, truly I say to you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, speaking specifically to the apostles, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones of uh, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve apostles, twelve thrones, da 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 But then he goes on, he says, and everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, money, whatever it is, careers, things that are so important to you, you've got to have more than God itself. Everyone who will willfully surrender this will receive a hundred times as much. Other translations add the words in this life. And that's been my experience. Whenever I have freely given up something I thought I could not live without, God would bless me more than I ever thought I'd have. This is financially true. Some of you for the first time as we're doing this go beyond and you're starting to give beyond what you normally give. If you'll do this in faith, you'll start to see your finances will turn around. You'll actually start having more money than you thought you'd have in the first place. Because you start to let go. When you try to hang on to everything, God can't bless you. But if you will let go and let God, He will bless you. Some of you will receive a hundred times as much. And then, of course, we'll inherit eternal life. And He ends with these words, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teachings of the scriptures this morning. Three things we walk away from. Number one, Lord, those of us who've made a promise to that man or woman in our life, we need to honor that promise. Lord, for some that's very painful and very difficult and thankfully that we're here to help and encourage in any way we can. But we have to remember that's what the promise is for. We made a promise. 
Help people to honor that promise and in do so honor you. Number two, Lord, help us to value it and love and cherish children and to view them as a great blessing and not as a plague or a curse that needs to be avoided at all cost. Help us to cherish these little children, we pray. And finally, Lord, help all of us to get to that place. Sometimes we have these multiple moments in life where you call us to let go of something we're hanging on to way too hard. Help us always to learn the message that if we're going to serve you, we have to let go and let God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Bless you guys. Have a great day.